Hi everyone, before we step off with today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor. Do you have a Jeep JK that you all make your weekend trail rig? Or are you building a 100% custom tube chassis and you're stuck on how to figure out your three or four link suspension? Or maybe you wanna add some character to your Jeep JK, JT, or even your LT. Well, if this is you, or you're even somewhere in the middle there, I highly, highly suggest guys, you go out and you give TMR Customs a call. TMR Customs have been building everything you need for your rig, no matter what it is. They have the parts, knowledge, and insight to help you build the best possible rig out there. Tim and his brother Mike have been in business since 2008 and have built everything from a one-ton TJ on 40s to tube chassis that have been racing in series across both Canada and the United States. Did I also mention that they have a one-ton swap kit for your Jeep JK? Seriously guys, they, they have one for themselves. It's on 42s and it is a seriously slick rig. I highly suggest you go and check it out. If you need anything guys, give Tim and Mike a call at TMR Customs and let them know I sent you. Now, let's step onto the show. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Veteran Welding Podcast. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to have another guest coming online. Uh, his name is Jason Burgoyne. Now, Jay and I go way back. Uh, one of my very first memories of Jason, I remember we were doing a BFT. For those of you who don't know, it's a battle fitness test. It's a 13-kilometer rucksack march that we got to do in the military. And I remember I was passing him, and he looks over to me, and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm passing you because I need to stretch my legs. And you looked over at Jeff Weens, who was beside you, looked back at me, and told me to get the fuck back in line. <laughs> <laughs> that was my very first memory of Jason. Um, Jay is one of the best human beings I've ever met. And I mean that straight from the bottom of my heart. He's taught me more throughout my military career on how to be a soldier and be an individual than I can honestly, I, I can properly comprehend. Like Jay is a very near and dear friend to my heart. Um, he's also the guy who taught me how to throw a punch, how to take a punch, how to, you know, not cry like a little bitch when he throws your back out when he's trying a new <laughs> fighting move. <laughs> So the, and these are all things we're going to eventually talk about here in the show. Um, but Jay is also a uh, retired veteran like myself. He's also a very successful businessman. He's had three gyms since he's retired. Uh, a weightlifting gym, a boxing gym, a jiu-jitsu gym. Uh, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's looking at starting a school. Uh, so, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good, good. So, for those of you, or why don't you give us a rundown of your youth, essentially, okay? So, where you come from, how you grew up, what happened in your youth to push you towards the military? We'll start off there. Really, not a whole lot to push me towards the military in my youth. I had a, a very, I don't want to say whimsical, but certainly not uh, directed or uh, uh, motivated youth. I, Really, uh, my passion back in my run, back in my youth, where was my running? I was uh, uh, going for the the Canada Games back in back in the day for uh, 1500 meters, and that was my only competitive edge at the time. I used to I uh, started out in martial arts back then. 
uh, in Aikido, which I've since, well, I probably shouldn't say that, I'll get people upset, but I since learned is uh, relatively useless in a, <laughs> in a uh, self-defense uh, or combat environment, which is what I was looking for. So I, at some point I, I stopped doing that and uh, started picking up uh, jiu-jitsu and stand-up fighting, which is what motivated me once I got into the military to continue to pursue that. But really, sadly, what motivated me to get into the military was uh, being able to pay my bills. I was uh, a little late getting in the military. I was 26 and decided that uh, my wife and I were tired of not paying my bills. So in I went. Who would have known that I would have loved it as much as I did? <laughs> yeah. And where, where did you come from? Like, where did you grow up? I'm from out east. i from uh, St. John, New Brunswick. Okay. All right. Cool. So questions here um when you joined the military what challenges did you face like for just essentially like getting in and then progressing the way that you did knowing that you wanted to be a fighter you wanted to be in combat sports essentially mm -hmm. i actually didn't i don't want to say i didn't face obstacles i think everybody faces obstacles uh i think the obstacle that i faced first uh I'll preface this by saying I've always been fit enough to be able to do my job. Uh, that being said, it was always a pet peeve of mine to hear people say, I'm fit enough to do my job, uh, because that implies uh, that's good enough. And I don't believe that that's how a soldier should think, is, ah, no, it's good enough, because it's never good enough. You've always got to be better. You've always got to be stronger and bigger, because there's always going to be somebody bigger and stronger than you. Uh, so when I first went on my on my first tour to Kosovo, uh, I was. Now I'm closer to 280 pounds now, but I'm a lot. I'm a lot bigger. I'm a lot more muscular now than I was back then. I was at my fattest in Kosovo at 269 pounds because I was also quite thin underneath all the fat. <laughs> so, but I always had the endurance and the strength to be able to do everything I had to do, no matter what it was. But after I came back from Kosovo. Uh, we had had a couple of guys that were struggling with weight uh, and guys who couldn't do their job. And then I saw some pictures of myself alongside some other armies, the the Swedes, uh, the Americans, and uh, relatively fit. And I said to myself after Kosovo, I would never, ever go back overseas looking like that again. Not because I couldn't do my job, but because I didn't feel like I was pushing myself and I didn't feel like it was a good representation of uh, Canada or our soldiers to becoming a looking like that. Uh, so that was my first motivation in the military uh, to start getting better and getting stronger. And it led me to uh, a relatively successful uh, competitive running career in the military. I, I ran until I got fit and then I ran uh, all the way to the nationals uh, and Middle of the road placement. I placed twentieth in the country in uh, in half marathon, but it, it got me very very fit, and that propelled me uh, uh, through the responsibilities and through the ranks uh, until I started having heart issues. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, role models. Like I mentioned mm -hmm. in the intro, there, like in, in the military, you were you were mine. Like you were the one that mm -hmm. I looked up to for guidance and all that. Uh, who were yours? Like and what? How, how did you go about picking them if you 
even did consciously say, no, I want you as a role model. I want you as a role model. I don't want you as a role model. Like, how did, well, how- and that was, there might have been more, I don't want you. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Now, there are certain aspects of the way that I felt I, I like to lead that I would give credit to, uh, if you remember, uh, Gene Furman. Do you remember Gene? Oh, Gene. You know? Right, so Gene has uh, since changed his name to Gene Garland, but I wasn't sure which. Okay, Garland, I remember that one. Right. Yeah. So I wasn't sure which name you had met him under. Uh, but Gene Garland, in my opinion, uh, not always the friendliest to uh, to his subordinates, but man, if he told you he knew something, even if you were 100% sure you knew it, the fact that he said he knew it made you question whether you were right. Because he always made sure to never talk about anything unless he knew. And I took that lesson from him and I took it very seriously such that I, I think I can say pretty strongly that if I'm telling you something is true, it's most likely true because I I won't talk about something that I don't know uh, as a matter of fact that it's uh, that it's true. Otherwise I'll have to tell you, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. And I really felt that that was an aspect of leadership that was rare. uh, And that's why I took that from, uh, from Gene as far as the rest of it was concerned, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, an amalgam. I, it was more born from complaints that I heard. Uh, I felt like people needed people needed to be led and not pushed under somebody's thumb. I didn't like that style of leadership. Where, you know, what I will tell you, there was a, when when we were in when I was in battle school, and I trying to remember what that would be equivalent to for you guys would be like. Uh, DP1 plus a couple of other courses uh, would have been the equivalent to our old battle school. But it was said to us that respect in the military, and you may laugh at this, and this is that's good. <laughs> uh, respect in the military goes up, down, and sideways. I always felt that, that the way that it actually worked when the chips were down was respect goes up and sideways. And it doesn't often go down when the chips are down. So when somebody's angry, when somebody's mad, when you've done something wrong, just because you've done something wrong doesn't mean that you don't deserve respect. But it would turn out that way. Yeah. So I always tried to tell myself, even though the person who said this to me probably was one of the people who were violating that tenet, yeah. I took it very seriously and tried to be that way my entire career, that if somebody had done something wrong, even if it was egregious, to try and reach the bottom of why they did it, why they thought that was okay. And maybe if something's wrong with that person, that's just, I took it very seriously. I think that was a linchpin to the way I, uh, the way I dealt with things in the military as well. Yeah. No, when when you said the, the respect thing sometimes doesn't go down, there was a couple incidences just before I got out. It's just like, you know what? I'm glad I'm, I'm on my way out the door right now. Cause this shit isn't going to fly anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's, you see it all over the place and I fucking hated it. It's just like 10 minutes ago, you were, we were tickety boo. And now, yeah. now that I told you this isn't going to happen due to circumstances out of my control, I'm getting in shit. Yeah. Fuck. I even gave you three. That's not to action. say that I never, that's not to say that I never yelled at anybody. <laughs> oh, that's true. But I don't, I don't think that I ever yelled at somebody in a way that they felt disrespected. At least I hope that that's the case. No, I I remember I remember vaguely 
one, maybe two times where it wasn't you elevating your voice to get somebody's attention across the hangar or across the yard or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, Hey, like, like, you know, you fucked up, son, you fucked up good. (laughs) But even once you sat there and you did that initial like Barkus, let's call it after that, it was back down to a normal talking tone. And it was just like, you you could see it in their face. And I think I might've been on receiving end of it once. Um, but, (laughs) but it's just like, Oh, Oh man, I screwed up. I screwed up hard. Like you, it was just like, like that dad tone kicked in. I guess if you want to call it that, but it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, all right. So it's funny. The uh, anytime I had to get upset, anytime I had to get upset with somebody that I considered a friend, I would always get more upset. <laughs> like if I was yelling at you, I'd be like, "Why are you making me do this?" You know, I also have that going on in my head. There's whatever you did wrong. And then on this side, I'm like, why are you making me get mad at you, Chris? You're my buddy. Don't fucking do this to me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, fuck. No, I remember uh, the last exercise I was on, we were sitting there and a couple guys brought in uh, a bottle of Mickey or a Mickey of Fireball. Sorry. And and we were sitting there and... You know, I was a sergeant major's driver. I was racked out. Next morning, I get up and there's like puke all over my boots and one thing and the other. Like, oh, like, Jesus. What the fuck? And then when we found out who it was, the sergeant major, he's just like, you are going to sit there and this is what I want them to do and you are going to be a fucking asshole. And it's just like, fuck. Okay. Yeah. No problem. No problem. And I sat there and I took the two guys and I'm like, listen, looking around, making sure nobody's hearing me. I'm like, listen, I have to be like this, so just do as yeah. I say to the like to the T, so I don't have to be any more of an asshole because I really don't want to. And they're like, <laughs> "Okay, all right." Anyway, I must have not been doing a good job because about halfway through the day, Sergeant Plumley he comes over and he's just like, "Yeah, Sergeant Major wants to talk to you in his tent." And it's just like, "Shit!" Comes over and he's just like, "Hey, we're gonna go on this tasking." Plus, you're doing a terrible job of that. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like. All right, well, whatever. <laughs> That's what you get for being nice, I guess. Well, I guess so. Yeah. Who's Sergeant Major? He Bear. Oh. Yeah. He, oh man, he was awesome. I learned. I learned more from him by mistake than anything else. Like yeah, like j- just being around the man, like he could learn so fucking much. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And especially, especially when because like. I always heard stories of, you know, Sergeant Majors, like, teaching and training their guys while they were on, like, road move to places or mm-hmm. after something. Hey, how would you have done this differently? Like, like molding the guys. And yep. I saw, like, the, he was the only one that I seen higher than a sergeant actually doing it. And I fucking loved it. Oh, wow. It was great. So, but yeah. I think I'm going to reach out to him see if he wants to be on the podcast, too. Anyway. He's a good guy. Yeah. I think he's in Montreal or something like that now. I think the first, what do you want to call it, human uh, face on a Sergeant Major I saw, I was working for Rick Whalen, if you remember him. I know the name. I know the name. 
So you, you probably know the, the Whalen name because there's Jeepers and the Dragoons. I think there's four of them, and they're all brothers. Oh. So my, yeah, my sergeant major in Kosovo overseas was his brother. The heck was his name? A jackass he was. <laughs> I remember his name. Keith Whalen was my battle school sergeant. Okay. Uh, his brother, Jeepers, I can't remember his first name. Uh, if somebody said it to me, of course, I'd recognize it. But his brother, Whalen, uh, was my sergeant major in Kosovo. When I came back, their brother, Rick, was the sergeant major, and I was his driver. So they'd all been relatively standoffish. Not not uh, Keith so much, but he was the sergeant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was driving around with Rick for days. Didn't say a word to me. Not a word. And that's, as a sergeant major's driver, if you're not going to have conversation, my life is miserable. It's boring. I can't. Yeah. Oh, my God. How much longer am I going to sit here? <laughs> well, he did this for three days. Didn't say one word except maybe the occasional turn left here. And I'm going crazy. And at one point, when we started, what I would what I would deem now as a friendship is he turned to me. I think I had just blown a red light. <laughs> it, was a, it was at a strangely angled place, and I was looking at the wrong at the wrong light, and I just blew through it. And he, he turned to me and went, "Is there any reason you just blew that there red light?" And I went. Nope. <laughs> and that's all I said. And they were quiet for another like three hours. So I think he's mad at me, extra mad now. Well, he is mad. He speaks up a, a couple of hours after that. And I think now he's finally cooled down. He's going to give it to me for the for my shitty driving. And he says, uh, is the trooper going, I fucking hate my job. <laughs> 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 that explains the silence right there. <laughs> After three days of silence, he says, I'm a glorified, because he was the, the headquarters sergeant major. He's like, I'm a glorified parking lot attendant. I go find parking lots for people. I call them. I tell them where to park. Then I go find another one. I'm like, oh, this is shitty. And that was the basis for our, for our relationship for the next. And now when I see him out, <laughs> we have a great relationship. That is but awesome. That was my first. That was my first human face on a on a sergeant major. Could never have expected that was coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is fucking awesome. Oh, this is... Pete. <laughs> Sorry, completely. His name was Pete. Pete Whalen. Pete Whalen. Okay, all right. Right, Sergeant Major, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, I'm just... You, you're talking and I'm just... It's so good to go down this road. Like, it is so good to go down yeah. memory lane. Uh, anyway, um... A bit that we both missed, uh, both Jason and I were part of the Royal Canadian Dragoons, um, which is based out of Petawawa. Anyway, when you, so let's start talking about how you were getting, tra- starting to transition out, okay? Because mm-hmm. um, the meat and the potatoes of this episode I'd like to have is how you sat there, because th- there's guys who've been somewhat successful. I like to clump myself into that one that group, and then there's guys that just are knocking it out of the park, and I definitely put you in that one, and I'm not saying it because you're a guest, I'm saying it because I fucking mean it. Um, mm-hmm. How did you, when you started to go, get ready to get out of the military, how did you do it? What was, uh, what strategies did you have? What thoughts were you having? What 
game plans were you starting to put into place or thinking of putting into place? Like, how was that going? Like, how did you how did you do it? I actually went through a lot of struggle uh, getting out of the military uh, because even though it wasn't my overall goal before I got in to be a soldier, it wasn't a goal. It was certainly something I thought was interesting, but I never was never obsessed with getting in. Once I was in, I was very proud of being a soldier, and uh, it was on the other end of my career when I was on in transitioning out. Uh, I had a very difficult time. Uh, I, I guess you'd call it an identity crisis. If I'm not a soldier, what am I? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to fit into civilian life? We joke about it, but in the combat arms, other than soft skills like leadership, what is it you can bring to civilian life? I can tell you 50 ways how to kill somebody. That's about <laughs> I mean, how useful is that? It's, there's no there's no use to that. Yeah. So I went through a, a, lo- a long period of time where I was just suffering. Uh, I remembered back to a conversation I had with the husband of one of my wife's friends. Now, uh, we talk about people who have hit it out of the park in their life. Uh, Marissa is, is Carla's friend's name. She's a, a model and an actress in uh, Hollywood. And her husband, her husband is a director and a writer. And uh, like friends with A-listers. So he's a he's a pretty fascinating dude, and uh, I met him through, of course, there was uh, his lovely wife, uh, and Carla was visiting, and uh, I was talking to to PJ is his name, and he was talking about business ownership, really, not nothing specific. Uh, I don't even know how we got on the conversation. Uh, he was a fan of my writing. Uh, I did a secular blog, if you remember back in the day, and. Uh, if not, I used to run a blog called Atheist Evolution. I had a, I, while it was active, while it was active, I had about a half a million reads. So it was it was middle of the road up there. Yeah. And he was a fan, so he was saying you should try to try and turn this into a business. And and he told me a story. He said, "Listen, I I had a really rough time being on my own in Hollywood, trying to do the things I want to do uh, with the software, with the directing. And at one point, I went to get another. Somebody said." Do you want an IT job? I know you're you're struggling, you're having a hard time. I've got a position for somebody in IT. You can help us. He said I worked there for a day and never went back, not even to pick up my uh, pick up my paycheck. He said the lesson I learned from that was never, ever, ever work for somebody else's goals. Work for your own. And it's much like what you were saying earlier, uh, before we started the podcast there when we were chatting, uh, you were saying that if you make a mistake, it's yours. And it's a it's a strangely positive feeling to not see somebody, something go wrong of yours and not have to look at somebody else and go, you screwed that up. It's a strangely positive feeling to go, shit, I did that to myself. Exactly. And, and get back to it and just fix it. Well, so that always stuck with me, but I never had any idea what it was I wanted to do. Uh, and I kind of fell into it uh, in the in the form of gym, gym ownership. Uh, How do you fall into gym ownership? Right. Well, I was in the canteen, and one of the dragoons that was in the canteen, which means, of course, he was injured and probably on his way out, too, if he's in the canteen, mm-hmm. uh, 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 he was... They owned a, a gym, a gym that had been open for about 20 years. It was very successful. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I could do that. I like 
I like the gym. I, you know, I'm, I'm a gym guy. Yeah. So we bought the gym from him, and that was my uh, post-military career, and that's what uh, sparked my my need to be uh, self-employed. I can genuinely say that I, that I no longer have the ability to work for other people. I need to work for myself. Aside from mental health and all that kind of thing, I, I just it doesn't sit right with me anymore. And after having done the gym, I. Uh, my eye was always kind of looking in that direction. And we had a, another friend who owned a boxing gym, although he, he didn't have a, he rented a space twice a week where he could bring people in and teach them. So it wasn't a competitive gym, but it was, he had a dozen customers or so. And at one point uh, he knew that I was a fighter and he wanted, he needed an assistant coach because he was doing the same thing I was transitioning out and starting to do that again brought back the joy that I had when uh, when you and I were training together and I realized I got to have this in my life and when he asked me to assistant coach I was on it yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't two weeks later that he sold me the gym oh, shit. which really was just selling me some equipment and uh, and a client list and now we've we've grown it to going mainstream on the on the main street uh, we've won seven provincial championships in the last year uh, and we've now expanded. Uh, and we've got a full gamut of combat sports programs. We're the only complete combat sports academy in the, in Renfrew County. That is fucking awesome. That is awesome. And I, I couldn't be happier. So did you at some point then sold the weight gym, right? We didn't. That's a, a sad story. Uh, oh. it was doing, it was doing really well. And we heard a rumor and we should have acted as soon as we heard the rumor. But we heard a rumor that Planet Fitness was coming into town, and they are a predatory business. And they, when they showed up, they would call employees at their places of work and and uh, try and steal their employees. the The prices are such that you just can't compete as a as an independent gym. They're ten dollars a month. We can't compete. And they put us out of business. Yeah, it was that one was a pretty traumatic one, and sadly for my wife, she had basically taken over the weightlifting gym at that time and i had basically moved over to the boxing gym mm-hmm. so it was it was extra hard for, for carla because she was closer to it at the time it was very difficult for her to go through but it was it was a lesson we learned too so yeah because i remember like a few years quite a few years ago talking to i think it, i forget if it was you or her over facebook there and she one of you guys said essentially what you just said. We're like, yep, no, Carla's taking over the gym, and then you're moving on to do this. And it was like, fucking sweet. But I didn't know that that's what happened. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So Planet Fitness, you just can't compete with $10 a month. And we were the only independent gym. The other gyms were connected to, like, uh, physiotherapy clinics, so they're safe. Or connected to hotels, they're safe. Yeah. Uh, and Planet Fitness has got corporate money behind it. and. They're not concerned about quality. They just want quantity. $10 a month will bring everybody in. Yeah. It's a shame. So you guys essentially got kicked in the nuts on that one. How did you, yeah. when that landed, how how did you sit there and say, okay, no, this sucks. We just got hit, but we're going to now shift focus and now walk on target over here. Like, how, how did you, what did you do? What? Like, how did you adapt and overcome? Well, I had already moved over. 
it was certainly difficult because we'd uh, we'd made that a labor of love for a couple of years. Uh, to have that fall apart was was devastating. Uh, we really didn't uh, show our faces in town for probably about a year. We we didn't want uh, to face the judgment. We'd uh, we had received some negative uh, uh, attention online because of it. Although, to be fair, the negative attention online was almost always met with overwhelming support from uh, from our customers. Yeah. So anytime anytime that we'd get negative press, our customers would jump all over them. So I mean that felt good. But I mean they, you hear it all the time, even in parenting, they say you know one bad boy takes a hundred hundred attaboys to to erase one bad boy. So when you hear something negative online, you get 50 people jumping on it. You still remember it in the back of your head. It's hard to get through. So we struggled for probably a good year. And then at one point, we just said, we got to stop doing this. It's people are people are on our side. Let's just get back out there. And uh, we got back out and put everything into the into the boxing gym. And, and here we are. Okay. Nice. So when you start when you, you bought the gym license and the listing and all right. that, um, what was what did it looked like to you? Like when you sat there and somebody goes, "Okay, here's here's all, here's your gym and everything on paper." In your mind, mm-hmm. what was your vision at that point? What did you see? Well, and I... then how how have you achieved that? And how have you realized, or did you realize at some point where you like where you're like, "That's not achievable," but this is something I didn't even think of, and now we're taking off in that direction. I used to train when I was posted in Toronto. I used to train at a place called Extreme Couture, and it was one of the best facilities that I'd ever been around. They had uh, all of the, the combat sports arts, uh, all the striking you'd want. They had transitions in wrestling and judo. They had ground fighting. They had a cage. They had a ring. Uh, they had a, a weight room, a full cardio room, like yoga, and, like they had everything. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I'm like, this is my dream gym. I would love to own it. So that was always my model in the back of my head was a complete combat sports academy okay. uh, was my model. When I started, it was, I just took over the rental of a, a spot in somebody else's gym, uh, who's now a client of mine. <laughs> uh I took up a spot in his gym twice a week. So I didn't have my own space, but it was kind of my own space. I was renting a class space twice a week. Now, uh, when we moved downtown, uh, it was really just luck of the draw. We were talking to uh, one of Carla's friends who owns a restaurant downtown, and she happened to know that it was coming up for rent. And Carla jumped on. She was the, she's been the one that pushed a lot of the big changes because I was panicking. I'd like to rent this room for twice a week is costing me 300 bucks a month. So I can always make my rent payment. It's, it's never any stress. It's just a, a stress reliever to get me to do something a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. Moving downtown, I went from teaching two classes a week. I went from teaching two to teaching 11 classes a week. Because now you had more, you had to bring in more customers. You had to have uh, a wider breadth of programming. And I was panicking because uh, rent was like two thousand dollars a month, as opposed to three hundred. Yeah. So I panicked, and over two and a half years there, we never missed we never missed rent or even came came close to it. So that felt good. And then a place that my wife had always liked, 
And I, I admit, it was a great place. I came up for rent, uh, for rent. So it sat there for a good six or eight months. And finally, we had grown too big. We can't, we can't be in this facility anymore. We, we're seeing the signs. We got to start looking at getting out. When you say seeing the signs, what do you mean? Well, like class sizes, we were, there were a couple of classes where our classes, we'd have like 25, 26 people there. And in the gym we were in, we just didn't have the size. It was very difficult to, to support that, that size of, uh, of class. Plus we had the jujitsu and boxing were scheduled all on the same night. So we'd box, they'd come and set their mats up and then we'd box again afterwards. So there's a little bit of turnover. We got to wait for them to set up the mats. We got to wait for them to turn down the mats. So there's, there were things like that that were like, this is not going to be our full-time solution just because we're getting too many people and this is becoming onerous to try and try and get this all done. She pushed us toward it, and I was panicked again because it's, it's a big jump up in rent again. But she was convinced and is convinced uh, that we're going to do all right. As soon as we... Oh, there you go. As soon as we moved in, the COVID isolation started. <laughs> so we're all moved over to the new place now, but we haven't actually trained out of the new place yet. So where where is it? Because uh, your old gym, your your previous facility, it was on mm-hmm. the main drag in Pembroke, Ontario, right? Yeah. Okay, so where's the new one? Are you towards the river? About, or? I'm about 200 feet away from my old uh, my old club. We're, we're down... Uh, just before the bridge, so by Jenna and Carrie's, uh, I guess I wouldn't have been here when you were here. I wouldn't have been down there. The bridge. Uh, okay. <laughs> you, do you know where oh. Eastside Mario is? Yeah, yeah, and then you can... Just before that bridge that goes up to Eastside Mario's, yeah. we're on the right-hand side, or the left-hand side. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're much bigger now. We have a boxing-specific gym, we have a jiu-jitsu-specific gym. So now the Muay Thai, the boxing, the judo, they can all have their own space. We're not competing with anybody. I've got a ring now, so we can we can practice in the ring. Nice. So it's going to be a big deal, but this COVID thing has really thrown everybody for a loop for sure. Yeah. But that's the basically the story of the expansion. Is uh, I've been building it up, and my wife's been pushing me forward. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. It's all about teamwork. Yeah. So... You brought up COVID. Let's chew on that for a couple minutes. How, when this hit, how did you did you look at it like this is happening for you or this is happening to you? And then what changes have you made to make the best out of a shit sandwich? Well, it's it's certainly not happening to me. I think that would be a pretty uh, uh, short sighted and arrogant way for me to think of it. It's happening and it's affecting everybody equally. Uh, it's certainly a struggle. Uh, there are some businesses, I don't know how hard hit uh, you are. You're more of a, an, a, an essential service. So mm-hmm. I would assume that you continue rolling as per relatively normal. Yeah. Uh, for us, we go from a hundred percent, uh, profit to none. And we're not for profit business in the first place. Uh, we put everything back into the gym and back into the community, but we went from, being very successful, having zero profit. Now we've had, we've had a few customers who support us anyway. They're paying for their memberships, even though we can't, uh, we can't support them right now, which is amazing. That is awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, couldn't have better, better customers. 
Uh, and we actually, I had a, I had a customer write to me personally to apologize for not being able to pay her uh, membership while she was off, which strangely meant just as much to me as all the people who were paying when they were off. She felt it was so important for me to know that she wanted to, that uh, she wrote to me to tell me that she felt bad that she couldn't. And it was very touching to hear her say that, but it's uh, no COVID's been COVID's been rough on on everybody. Uh, I am in the medium risk category, so I don't have the luxury to uh, to uh, to be one of those guys to say ah, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Not with not with heart issues. That's uh, I'd be in the the risk category to get sick. So yeah, at least at least medium risk. I'm not. I don't think I'm high risk, but. I, nonetheless, it makes me pay attention, makes my wife make me pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then what, once this starts, like, Alberta, we're already slowly opening up. We're in phase Yeah, one. we're doing the same here, yeah. What phase are, the, are you hoping to open up in, and what's that going to look like? when you? Because when you open up, are you just going to go, okay, boom, back to business as usual? Or are you going to... No, it's... Or are you going to like be like, no, we're going to do this, this, and this differently with like advertising or teaming up with other gyms? Or well, something? and that is true. So we are definitely going to, uh, we've teamed up with another local gym, uh, trying to keep the, the local guys alive. Uh, and we are, we are currently bringing in, uh, we've got a life coach, we've got a massage uh, technician working out of our gym. Uh, we're looking to bring in a nutritionist and a physiotherapist so that we can have a full gamut of, uh, of services. But these are the services that are going to be able to move us forward. Yeah. Is, uh, is doing things like that. Uh, definitely business is going to look different for everybody for a while. We're looking, hoping that we'll be in phase two that we can start to train again. That may not happen. It might be all the way to phase three. Competition is not going to happen until at least September or October. Uh, so that's a, a big hit for us. But um, no, it's uh, coming back is going to look, there's going to be, we just ordered our uh, infrared thermometer. Okay. So on the front door, we're going to have to have a questionnaire. Have you been anywhere in the last 14 days? Have you been in contact with anybody? All that kind of, if you have any yeses on the questionnaire, you can't come in. If we, if we take your temperature and, and you're uh, you're not at normal temperature. You can't come in. There's there's going to be screening process to get in. And there's some things that the government has laid down, like uh, if you're taking somebody to a class, you can't have more than one person watching. So both parents can't come in. And I think I'm actually going to put a rule down that says nobody can come in. You drop your kid off, you drop them off. Come back in an hour. Yeah. You know, I, we need to make sure that we're we're still trying to to stem this while being responsible for our uh, for our clients. And to be honest, uh, for you being an example for me as well, but being an example to the other uh, to the other businesses of how to do things. That's I think that's how business works. Is when they all see a string of people doing things the right way. It's difficult for you as the as the odd man out to go. I'm not doing it. So I think putting a, a good foot forward for everybody else is, is a good thing, but it's going to look very different, I think, uh, for everybody moving forward, even after phase three. Has Andrew still been hitting the gym hard? He has been doing his cardio pretty pretty well. He's had a couple of times where he's he's fallen off a bit because he's he's as affected by it as everybody. Yeah. Uh, 
but he's been he's been trying to hit the bag. He's been trying to go on his uh, go on his runs, so he's keeping his cardio up. He wants to be ready for when the, when the competition starts up again because he wants to be busy. Yeah. So he's been pretty good. Good. And so, so for the listeners here, Andrew is Jason's son. All right. And, yes. Uh, I'm man. The last time I saw Andrew, I think we were having spaghetti dinner at your house just before <laughs> you were getting sent out to Toronto. And Andrew, I think, was like. Oh, shoot. Like he was young. You still had your. You were still. Uh, yeah. Like across the street from the Esso station in Pet. He might have been. Yeah. He might have been six. Yeah. I think that's right. Because I remember him coming up a couple times and he said, Mr. Reader. Like, you know, very, yeah. very polite. And it's just like, who the hell are you talking to, Mr. <laughs> Reader? <laughs> yeah. He uh, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. But now he's uh, he's taken to it. He's. He was always a. We never would have thought that combat sports would be the thing for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's always been a bit of a. If I can say it, he's always been a bit of a pussy growing up. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to well, edit that out, or do you want me to leave it in? <laughs> didn't want to go through monkey. Want to go across monkey bars because might get hurt. He, just a very careful boy. He certainly was not. Uh, a daredevil by any means. Mm-hmm. No, would just say that he was particularly tough, but he always liked combat sports. So we had pictures of him beating up dummies and beating up his teddy bears and stuff like that. He'd put on the gloves. and But we never thought that it would be anything but just a game that he played with his toys. Yeah. And when he first started, his mother and I both thought that it was just, he's just doing that so he can spend time with me and he's doing it for me. And he fell in love with it. And now he, uh, he has been, and he's no longer novice, but he was the best novice in Ontario at his, at his weight. And now he's moved up into the youth into the youth program and is starting to establish his position there as well. Yeah. And he's, he's won he's three titles. He's uh, he's doing extremely well. Yeah. He's uh, 18, 19 now? He's 16. Jesus, he's huge for a 16-year-old. I know, right? Wow. <laughs> okay. He's, he's close to 6'1", I think. He's the same height as me. Yeah. Dear Lord. All right. Now he fights it. He fights at one forty one, so he fights very light. Mm-hmm. But man, he's hard to hit. Yeah, <laughs> it's frustrating. <laughs> you, every time I, every time I, I didn't mention this earlier uh, because I just remembered it. But every time I see him fighting, I don't know what it is about your son, but something about something about him reminds me of Boots, Jack Lutzulier. Remember him? Oh, very well. Fuck. I don't know what it is. Uh, he loved boots. He loved boots. They had a very special relationship. They did. Yeah. And uh, they used to wrestle. And they used to train. And they used to do jujitsu do together. Yeah. And it, I can see that. I can see that. But boots was another one. Was a when I was teaching him, he was very uh, indicative of the style of boxing of fighting that I liked because. He happened to like that style too, so that's what that's what I taught him. And I think he would have, if Boots were still here, he'd be heavily involved in Andrew's uh, in Andrew's career. I'm sure of it. Oh yeah, that guy. Like I remember when he started, it, like just coming out with us to do CQC, and he just like he he just watch, and it's not like other people when they were watching. It's just like, nope. oh, I'm watching because I'm tired. Like no, like he's watching, and it was like he was memorizing what you were doing. And I remember a few times 
he'd stop. Like he'd be like, stop, 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 stop. How do okay? I'm doing this. How do I do that? And then once he got the mechanics down, he just boom and away he went. And it's like, holy shit! And yeah, he went out to Wainwright on a training exercise, and he came back, and it was just like I, like the guy dropped a shit ton of weight. Oh my god! Right. And then he just put it all back on in muscle, and it's just like, man, like that yeah. kid. Like I, he was there for like six weeks, and he came back. Came back looking amazing. No, he did. I remember that. Yeah. He's the one, the one student I have that's probably the closest to Andrew, or Andrew would be the closest to him, I suppose, because his boots would have been the best at this. If he made a mistake, and you identified it in such a way that he understood the mistake he made, yep. he never made it again. Oh yeah, he he'd never make it again, and it was it was a, it was amazing. You'd think, okay, he makes mistakes here, so I'll drive him there. Not anymore. He doesn't. Yeah. You told him about that two minutes ago, and now he doesn't do that anymore. Oh yeah. He's one of the few. Andrew's pretty good that way, but Boots, I've never seen anything like the way Boots used to do that. Yeah. No, I, I remember we were in the Coriano Club, and we were having a having a drink, and I remember him saying, I remember sitting there saying, and he's just like, one day I'm going to fight against, oh, what's his name? The, the French guy that was in... Uh, GSP. GSP, that's it. One day I'm going to fight against GSP. And that's, that's what his goal was. Like, he'd sit there and he just... Fuck, I miss that guy. I tell you, I, I believe it as much as I believe anything. I believe that if Boots were still alive, he'd be in the UFC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he had such a learning curve, he would have he would have gotten there. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> you don't realize how much you miss somebody until you sit there and you haven't talked to them talked about them for so yeah. long and then it just comes back I, I considered boots a brother he was that was uh he was a difficult one there was a few that that we've seen past but boots was a was a particularly particularly difficult one yeah i certainly i certainly miss him he was very humble too i always like in a way like he, he was humble but he still had a fighter's ego <laughs> yeah he still had a fighter's ego but he certainly on a one-on-one level, was uh, was humble in that way, yeah. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's. As much yeah. as I, I would love to keep talking about him, but yeah. let's we'll, we'll talk more about him after the show. Anyway, that'll that'll be great and better in tears here in a minute if we keep that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But anyway, all right, so. Be being a vet, and it's one thing I like to try and ask anybody who is a veteran that is now a business owner. How do you find working with the civilian mentality? Meaning, like, because we have a very set way of this is how you do it, do it. And a lot of civilians sometimes are like, well, why, why, why? Or they're like, no, I have my way. How do you go about cracking that egg without cracking an egg? I found that the most difficult thing for me is I never had a trouble. Uh, I've never had trouble managing people to to do things the right way. Uh, if somebody else has a better idea, I've always been open, military or not, to hearing it. Uh, but in the end, I'll assess it and I'll decide whether or not I think that's the best way. Unless by very few, there are a few people in my career that I would have trusted 
I would have disagreed, but I would have let them do their thing. I disagree, but let's see how it, let's see how it works out because I trust them. But I think the biggest difference between military thinking and civilian thinking is when you're given a job in the military, even though it's not working for our purposes, it's not our business. It's we're soldiers under under a I don't want to say greater power, but under people or subordinate to to others. We were still invested in that job, and for the most part, I mean, not everybody, but for the most part, you had some pride in your work. I find that that, at least at the lower level, certainly not in, in business, because those people are obviously proud of their work, uh, but I do find it's difficult to get people who are invested. It's, uh, it, was, it was a hard lesson for me to realize they have no reason to be invested. In the military, we had a reason because we all belong to this organization. And I guess thinking about the organization, the organization's goals, we were invested in the organization's goals. In business, your employees have no motivation other than the pay you give them. So sure. when they have no reason to do anything above and beyond, but we expect that as soldiers, you expect you saw that and you didn't do anything about it because we would do something about it because we're invested. If they're not invested. It's not their job. I find a lot of civilians will take that attitude. I didn't do it and walk away. And that's the that's the most difficult thing for me is to cross that divide. Once I was able to realize that that is in fact the case, that neither are they invested nor should they be invested in something that doesn't. Uh, that was the realization that that changed my way of thinking. Now I do things differently. I try to seek ways to help people be invested. Does that make sense? Yep. That that was I was hoping you were going to lead to that because that's something I try to do. How do you do it? Because I'll sit there and when we had the apprentice uh, Dylan, I'd sit there and I'd be like, okay, listen, like from this time to this time, you're working on veteran welding. But as soon as the as soon as we're done for the day, if you have a, a project that you want to work on, like like he he's huge into motorcycles. Like let's say you want to work on a tank or you want to work on a fender or like whatever your thing is outside of work. If you if we have stuff here to do it, well, you pay for material. We'll give it to you for co- we'll sell it to you for cost, and away we go. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you sit there and get get them to get their juices going on? Going, oh, okay, I can do this or I can do that or however it is you do it. So some of it's terminology. I I feel that people have to feel like they have some stake in what's happening. Uh, when we were uh, now, the boxing club is a is a different uh, a different beast. We're a not for profit. All of our all of our instructors are all volunteers, but you still have to do the same thing even with volunteers. Uh, but when we were paying people, we always made sure that we never paid anybody minimum wage, because uh, we wanted to make sure that that, we, that they knew they were, they were valued. Even if we couldn't pay them a lot over minimum wage, they had to know that they were valued enough not to be minimum wage workers. Yeah. Uh, the verbology we used was always us and we as opposed to me and you because I wanted them to feel like this is their business. Uh, if if the boxing club needs something and my jiu-jitsu instructor can do it but I can't, I need Wes to feel like he is, like the club is his as well. Like It might not be financially his, yeah. but when I say it's our club, I want him to feel like this is his club, like he has ownership in this. And I've had uh, some good success with that, where 
people have you give people control over over their little world and when they have control they have investment when they feel like they've got uh, a place in the business when you sit, when you have a major decision to make and you go to that and they're like well it's your business or like it's our gym you know when they hear that when you hear it's our gym they're like oh it is our gym we're here we're both invested in this and you get a lot of production you get a lot of I'll cover you we get a lot of maybe you could do this for me it's it's a lot more when you give people a reason to be invested in your business uh, just by letting them know they're valued and that they're without them you can't be successful either that they are that it is their business as well okay you know does that make sense this it does it does cuz and that's something i try to do as well is like i always try to sit there and like ask ask dylan like you know even though he was an apprentice it's like how would you do this and he just sit there at first he'd just be like but no like i'm going to fuck off for about 40 for a half hour 45 minutes when i come back i either want it done or i want you to tell me how you're going to do it mm-hmm. like i i did i gave him that much time when i had that much time to burn but i always sat there and tried to have it so that it was like his idea it's it's his plan to execute type thing and at first it took some getting used to like for on both sides because he'd sit there and that and he would just he did it about two or three times where he just kind of like shit the bed and i you know told him like you know this is how it is one thing the other but once he understood that i wanted him to do like exactly what you do with your guys make it feel like it's his company it was like a switch got thrown and yes, he still had a lot to do, but he, he'd sit there and it was just, he'd sit there and even though it was done, he would sit there and say, no, I'm not ready to tell you it's done yet because I want to do this little step, this little step and this little step, which makes us stand out from the rest. Yeah. And that, that's what you want. Like, yes, sometimes it's going to cost you money, but in the end, when you have a better product sit, standing out there, it people are going to be like, wow, this is so much better than what was here. They did this, this, and this. And it's going to bring more work to you in the end. So Yeah. And when you have employees that feel like the end product belongs to them as much as it does you, they are invested in that project. When you say, is this good enough? And that... That up at that uh, phrase that I said earlier that I'm not a fan of. That's good enough. The, that's good enough attitude goes out the window because it's not. Because now you're looking at me. Now it's not Chris Reader's job. Yeah, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. Now it's no, it's my job that I did for Chris. Oh yeah. And it's a, that that shift in thinking is a, is huge because now I don't want to give Chris something unless it's worthy of having come from me. I'm invested in this. I don't want to impress you. I want you to go. Holy shit, this is awesome. Thank you for doing this for us, mm-hmm. not for me. They need to feel like they're part of, like they have control and trust. Yeah, that was, that was difficult for me in the beginning, <laughs> where I'm, where I was much like everybody used to going. This is the way it is. Do it this way. I'll be back in an hour. It'll be done. Yeah, I know. And one thing that I did too to make make my guys feel like it's theirs is I told them put your stamp on it, and they're like, "Well, I don't have a stamp," and it's like, "Well, come up with something." Whether you take like a chisel and you punch in like, you know, a box or a square. Sure. Uh, for me, it's two dots side by side. Nobody in the fucking world knows that it's mine. But I, sure. know, I know it's mine. Like you, you go to some of the, there's a few 
like uh, sign stands at the Calgary Zoo. They got my two stamps on it. They, nice. There's, there's hand railing throughout the city of Calgary and stuff like that. Has my stamp on it. There's parts flying to both North and South Pole. They got my fucking stamp on it. And it's just one of those things where it's like, it, it, you'll forget about it. You'll completely forget about it until you see like a Kemborg uh, plane fly by. And you're like, that was the last place I worked at before I went to school. And it's probably carrying some of the parts that I've welded up. And it's, it just nice. gives you so much pride. And yeah. And I don't know, like I, I, I saw the change in Dylan too. It's just like, Hey, stamp stuff, stamp it, stamp it. And whether he did or not, I don't know, but I, I noticed something change in around that general time. Nice. That's a good idea. Yeah. Something I want to ask you about, you brought up a few times, um, the gym's a not-for-profit. Why did you do that? And what were the benefits? Well, a couple of reasons. I'm uh, technically uh, considered disabled under under the Veterans Affairs Act. And I get paid either from my pension or from uh, the Veterans Affairs payouts. Uh, So I don't feel that, that I need to bring in money with this venture. I also feel like boxing is part of boxing's history is community involvement. Uh, part of boxing history is being able to help uh, teens that are that need something to do, teens that are just going to get in trouble, taking te- teens off the streets. Uh, and I think that that's difficult to do when you're a profit-driven business. I, I want to be uh, a family-driven business where every athlete feels like this is their gym, where we're there for them, where we care about them. Uh, and uh, we very often call it our fight family there. It's, I don't feel that that can be achieved through a profit, uh, profit gym. I don't want people to think that I'm only doing this because I'm getting money or I'm suggesting you buy these gloves because it's going to bring me money. It brings me not one cent. The gym will admittedly pay for my gas. They pay for my gas to and from home. That's what, that's what the gym pays for. Other than that, I don't take a penny from the gym. The gym, all the money goes back to the athletes and uh, goes back to the gym itself. And that's the way I see being able to affect. That's that's the start of being able to affect uh, positive change for youth in your community is being that uh, not-for-profit leader. We try and do a lot of things uh, as well, uh, but the not-for-profit, while it doesn't affect it directly, has an indirect effect. Like we work very frequently with uh, child uh, protective services, family and children services. And if we were a profit business, I don't know. It doesn't seem it doesn't carry the same gravitas as it would if you know that you're doing this for the kids and not for the profit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we try to keep our prices low, so it's uh, so it's uh, accessible to everybody, and we try to be active in the community and make it for the kids and not for the gym. And I really don't feel like a profit model uh, can achieve that as well as a not-for-profit model. That is awesome. That is fucking awesome. So, I I didn't even know that. Um, So, how did you go about getting your not-for-profit status? Well, it's an application through uh, the Ontario government. at first, actually, for the longest time, we were what's known, until just recently, we were what's known as a hobby business. So we didn't make enough, we didn't make enough money uh, to, be, to even need to have a business number. 
Like we don't have to pay taxes. We don't have to take taxes uh, because we don't make enough. So I worked under the hobby business model for about two and a half years. And it's only now that we know we have always identified as not-for-profit, but now we're registered as not-for-profit. We've always worked under the not-for-profit model. Uh, So nothing is going to change other than the fact that we're now uh, certified as not-for-profit, registered as not-for-profit. We've always worked under this model, but it was before it was just kind of on the honor system. We did this because we knew it was good for the for the gym and the community. Now we do it because we're now making enough money that we have to register. Yeah. And uh, now that we now that we have to do it anyway, we're gonna register as a not-for-profit. Now it's not the same thing as a non-profit. That's a non-profit is charity. Ah. Not-for-profit. Not-for-profit is a business is a business plan. So where the nobody involved with the ownership of the gym makes money based on uh, their work at the gym. Uh, all the money that that is made in profit goes back to the gym, and that's considered not-for-profit. Non-profit is different. We don't want to be a charity. We want to help charities, but we do we don't want to be a charity on it in and of itself. There's a whole bunch of complicated uh, things that have to happen when we do that, and I didn't have any interest in that. Okay. As long as we get to help the kids and uh, and do our work, I'm I'm happy. Nice, nice. So, um, where is Pembroke Boxing Club going? Like, is it is it still going to be the Pembroke Boxing Club now that you're in your new facility and every you're turning into an academy are you going to rebrand everything under the academy or is it going to be like this is the academy and like you know these are the company companies within the academy yeah well we we did think about that uh but uh, my wife again uh, had suggested that we have branded everybody knows who pbc is they know who, uh, who we're talking about say team pbc uh so i don't i think we'll always be pembroke boxing uh, with the umbrella of the academy underneath us. So because we were born from boxing, we're the boxing club. But at some point, we're going to have to have something on our page that says we're, Pembroke, uh, we're uh, uh, a uh, combat sports academy where we have such a, a large range of, of arts that, you, that we can teach now. Okay. So now, and j- just to recap, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you said it or not, but you do boxing, jiu-jitsu, and what else? We do boxing. We do jujitsu. Uh, we have uh, a Muay Thai instructor now. Uh, so we're going to have Muay Thai. Uh, so kickboxing. Mm-hmm. We have an MMA uh, program, which is just a, a cross-training, uh, a scheduled cross-training of our other programs. And uh, we're working on bringing in uh, what I call a transitions instructor. Uh, by transitions, I mean any martial art that deals with you're standing up and in the end you're on the ground. Uh, so wrestling, judo, those kind of arts where they take you to the ground, uh, that finishes the trifecta of what you need to be able to compete in mixed martial arts is stand-up transitions and uh, and ground. So we'll have the five arts in the gym, and uh, that's that's the full gamut of uh, of combat sports. Not 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 martial arts like I know that some. Karate places compete. I know that some Taekwondo places compete. They're martial arts that compete. Combat sports are like the the fighters, the the boxers, the kickboxers, MMA fighters, mm-hmm. those kind of guys. 
Now, do you do, 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 do Sorry. Do you do any training or coaching on base? Because from where you, anybody who do, who's listening and you don't know, Pembroke to Pet- to CFP Petawawa is a 25-minute drive, 30-minute drive? Yeah. So, yeah, 20 minutes, yeah. So do you, do you do any work with the Royals that are out there, the Dragoons, or any anything like that? This year, this year we're going to push that. Uh, we, we really need to get more of an involvement on base. Uh, but we've not so far. They've got a pretty good program with uh, Steve Burgess and Evolution, uh, whom we're partnered with through Evolution, because that's the jiu-jitsu team that we have at our club as well. But he does an outstanding job there, but I'd like to be able to go to the units themselves and uh, and teach some of the uh, boxing, kickboxing, uh, MMA. More boxing, to be honest. I, it's it's where a lot of uh, tactical organizations are going is stand-up fighting boxing because they're finding that moving around when you're taking your feet off the ground, say to kick with Muay Thai and stuff like that, that that's an unstable base. Very often you're going to end up on your butt. So learning how to strike and learning how to stand up again once you've gone to the ground are the two most important skills you can learn in the military. Yeah. So we're trying to make some some grounds there. Because uh, very often CQC instructors don't have the experience that you would wish they do. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the breadth of experience. Uh, so we're hoping to bring in some uh, some specialized guys and teach these guys how to, how to box, how to fight. Uh, but we hadn't really thought about doing that until this year. This year is our first year where we're going to really attempt a, a push on base. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So, so evolution is teaching the guys, but they're probably like out of Dundonald Hall or something like that. Out of Dundonald, that's right. Okay. All right. Uh, anybody who does, once again, if you're listening, Dundonald Hall is like the base gym. So, cool. Um, so, uh, what is what would you say is the biggest highlight of your entrepreneurial career so far? Hmm. Uh, you know what I have to say that uh, probably the first event that I held. So with boxing clubs, uh, you not only do you compete, you go to tournaments, you go to other other club shows, uh, but we also had the opportunity to run two club shows. Uh, we ran them out of the Civic Center, uh, and they were huge events. Uh, where big enough that if you take a step back from it and kind of watch the event that's unfolding around you, sometimes it's hard to believe this is my event. I'm running this. It's uh, we had music and the lights and the lasers and uh, a dozen fights uh, all set up from people all around the province nice. and uh, it was really, we had probably around 400 people there watching. Mm-hmm. We had food and drink uh, all there from local vendors. It was, an, and there were VIP seats. We had announcers and it was really quite something. And uh, I got to say, sitting, sitting back at that one uh, and especially the second one, because I didn't do any coaching at the second one. I put, I left that all to my assistants and I ran the show itself mm-hmm. Being able to sit back and see what you're doing. Holy shit, this is actually really big. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I'm kind of surprised that you said that, but I, I see where you're coming from. I thought you were going to say when your son, like, you know, started winning championships and stuff like that. 
Oh, you know what? I I I say it if I can. I'll back up what I'm saying here, but can you see my phone? Nice. <laughs> so when I say that my favorite boxer is my son, I'm I'm really I'm not joking. He's my favorite boxer in the world to watch. Uh, he's so slick, so I, I'm so proud of him. But as a businessman, that doesn't – it feels different to me. Yeah. It's like put that in this category, this, in this category. In life, absolutely. Seeing him win his first championship, seeing him perform at Brampton Cup, which is the, the, the largest tournament in the history of Canada. Uh, he won that this year, and in a performance against another boxer – who was outstanding. He was a, the other boxer was a, he was a, a phenomenal boxer. Yeah. And Andrew beat him all three rounds. It was, it was really an entertaining fight to watch. So when I see that, I, I gain a lot of pride, but I gain a lot of pride when any of my fighters win. I, I've been in the situation where I've got to hold back tears when I've, I've had to throw in the towel uh, because my young boxer is just sobbing because he's so sad that, he won't, that I won't let him continue. Uh, he just wants, they just want to fight. They wanted you proud. Yeah. And that's, that makes it hard to do that kind of thing. And I've been on the stage jumping up and down with, uh, with our 130 pound girl who just won her first championship, you know, nice. and I'm equally proud of all of them. I've been in the, in the ring jumping up and down to the kid who just lost, but had his best performance. It, it's, it really does end up, uh, feeling like an extended family. Yeah, that's awesome. But as far as business itself is concerned, the rumble was pretty was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what big goals aside from the fighting academy do you have? That's a good question. I. Uh, that's a really good question. I. I'd Either like personal or business. Yeah. In the end, uh, this is gonna will uh, will reveal a little bit here of uh, when I talk about pride for Andrew. Uh, I'm going to end up being a professional coach. Uh, as far as what I mean, I know I'm a professional coach now, but I mean a coach of professionals as well as amateurs. Because okay. uh, my my son actually wants to be a professional, so I'm looking now at registering as a as a uh, qualified uh, professional coach, trainer as well. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, professionals. I'd like to continue with that as well. I'd like to coach on the national level. I'd like to maybe take care of uh, going to the nationals myself as a coach. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that that I'd like to do at a higher and higher level in boxing. Uh, that the, the higher I go, the more fun I have. So I'm hoping to be able to follow my son wherever he goes, wherever his successes take him, I'll follow him. And I'll, I'll always be a part of his, uh, of his career. But I think uh, eventually, I'm never going to give up uh, coaching amateurs. There's nothing like it. Uh, but eventually I'm going to have a pro aspect as well where I'll, I'll uh, coach pros as well. Nice. Okay. All right. Um, well, we're over the hour mark, and I, we covered a shit ton of stuff. And I, <laughs> and honestly, like as you're talking, you're saying some things, and I want to just jump into the body. This and like you know, kind of do memory. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so, is is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to talk about, or anything you'd like to ask, or go back? Well, just very sorry, just very quickly. Uh, 
for anybody who's listening that is uh, a veteran that's either out or wanting to get out, uh, the best thing I can say to you is certainly it's not for everybody, but look into working for yourself. It's there's after a career of service, and I'm proud of my service. I'm not uh, in any way diminishing the importance of, uh, of my service, but after a number of years of service, it's really freeing to be serving yourself. Uh, now, you're serving yourself in, uh, in pursuit of a higher goal. Uh, it makes it sound very selfish, but you serve somebody else for 20 years, sometimes it's nice to sit back and be your own boss. You learned a lot about leadership in those 20 years. And I think for, especially for veterans, because the nature of our job is servitude, to be able to step out and lead the way that we wanted to be led uh, and work for our own goals, I think it's very cathartic, and I would suggest it to any to any veteran. I I 100% agree with you there. I I could I can't add to that at all. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to chase a squirrel about, or no? I'm there? good. I gotta tell you, it's fantastic to see you and talk to you. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, where can everybody find you? Where, what are all your socials? How can people, if they want to get into boxing or in the Valley area, they can come out, see you, get some training, come out to fights and help support you? So we are very active on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Everything gets posted on our, on our Instagram and it goes to our Facebook account. Uh, we also have an instructional YouTube channel. Uh, it's relatively in the, begin- in the beginning stages, but we've got a few hundred followers. It's pretty small, uh, but growing. Uh, so we're on Instagram under Pembroke Boxing, uh, same as uh, Facebook, and you'll find us under Pembroke Boxing on YouTube as well. And I can be contacted through any of those mediums or on my personal Facebook if people have questions. Nice. Oh, and we have a website, uh, PembrokeBoxingClub.ca. Perfect. Um, all right, cool. Well, if there's nothing else, I think that's a good spot to put a pin in it. Fantastic. Awesome. All right, guys. Well. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Once again, thank you, Jay, for coming on. It was great talking to you again. And we'll catch everybody else or catch all you guys on the next episode. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Talk to you. Cheers.